Good morning to those of you who are worshiping from home this weekend. This is our first opportunity after 126 days of being uh, only worshiping at home for us to have some people worshiping on campus, on site, and others continuing to worship from the comfort of home and the safety of home in the middle of this pandemic called COVID-19. So 126 days is a long time. There's a lot that can happen in 126 days. That's a third of a year. I don't know what you might have imagined you would do in the last third of a year, but I bet it wouldn't be what we've gone through. Uh, if this proves anything, it's that we don't know what tomorrow holds. We might think we know, but we don't know. Who could have imagined uh, sports being canceled, graduations being canceled, church being closed to meeting together for so long, us worshiping from home for so long, life has not lived up to what we expected. And this is one of those rare times in life, uh, a day in which we come back to worship on campus for the first time in 126 days, one of those rare times in life when it will be impossible to meet everyone's expectations. Because we're not out of the pandemic, we're still in it. And we're taking a lot of precautions. So if you're worshiping from home, that's probably because you're still minding those precautions and you've paid attention to what the church is able to do at this time and made the decision that for you, it was best to still be at home. And we're happy for you to do that. We want you to be safe and to safeguard yourself and your loved ones. and so. We're together in the spirit and in the unity of the spirit. But today is a day that we will not be able to meet everyone's expectations. There are a few things in life that are like this. Uh, usually you can at least meet some people's expectations, but there's a few things in life in which you can not meet anyone's expectations. Politics comes to mind. Uh, never makes anybody really very happy, does it, politics? When they take your favorite book and adapt it to a movie, <laughs> nobody is ever very happy when your book gets turned into a movie coming home from college for the first time and staying in your parents house no one no one has their expectations fully met the dynamics between parent and child is forever changed when someone comes home from college to stay for the summer for the first time or comes back home after working their first job and moves back in. Everything has changed. And today is kind of like that for the church. Here we are coming back together and we're gonna have one worship service outside. We're gonna have one inside with no singing to try to prevent the spread of the virus if it's present. And the statistics tell us it's very likely when we come together in groups of 100, in Benton County right now, it's almost certain that someone has the virus, whether they know it or not. So here we are taking precautions and it's going to be different. And it already feels different. And I'm going to start today with a text from Ezra chapter 3 that describes a time that was kind of like this in Scripture, a homecoming in which no one's expectations could be met. This passage is interesting to me because it fits today so uniquely. I'm um, in Ezra chapter 3, and I'm going to read from verse 11 through the end of the chapter, 11, 12, and 13, and I'd invite you to join me. Look at how these verses uniquely describe today's experience. 
and I feel like I should comment before I read them. I've never heard a sermon on these verses. In fact, I'm not sure that these verses are uh, even in the regular readings of the church. Uh, you might read this once a year in your yearly Bible reading, but who just opens up Ezra 3 and says, let's read today and apply to our life? I'm not sure it happens. Uh, a fact about these verses is that in an organized reading of Scripture that is an ancient strategy for reading the Bible in churches called the lectionary, these verses are not even included. And so uh, we know for a fact that many times in the history of the church reading the scriptures together, these verses have not only not been preached on, they just haven't even been read. And so today we're going to have a sermon on them. Ezra 3, verse 11. They sang responsively. This means the people uh, were being led and responding. Someone was probably chanting and then the people are chanting it back. Praising and giving thanks to the Lord. They're praising His attributes, who He is, what He is like, and also giving thanks, which means right at this moment He's doing something that they're grateful for. So they're both talking about God's eternal character, His unchanging nature, that's praise. And they're giving thanks for the way that His, his nature has answered a problem or has blessed them, has taken care of something that they needed in the moment. And that's kind of a neat way of thinking about this, praising God's character, His eternal nature, for the way it's showing up in the present. So they're praising and they're giving thanks responsively, and maybe you could do this with me. Even if you're at home this morning, you could respond with me. For He is good. Now you say it. Okay. Me first and then you second. For he is good, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. For his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And they sang this song as they were laying the foundation of the temple. The people have come back from exile. The temple had been wiped out by the Babylonians 50 years before. So they haven't been waiting 126 days, a third of a year. They've been waiting 50 years, many of them in exile in Babylon, come home, see the remnants of the temple grounds, and they need to lay new foundations. And as they do it, they're singing this song, He is good. He is good. What faith it must have taken to sing, He is good, after 50 years of life being put on hold, after 50 years of being denied public worship the way that you used to enjoy it. Fifty years of life in dismay and disappointment. And here they are singing, God is good, His steadfast love. This is the Hebrew word chesed, His covenant faithfulness, His covenant love. God's commitment endures forever towards Israel. And the people responded with a great shout. So while the singing is going on, the people begin to, to shout to God. And look at what comes next. When they praised the Lord because of the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid, many of the priests and the Levites and the heads of families, old people who had seen the first house on its foundations, wept with a loud voice. People who remembered what it was like before wept openly 
Why? We don't know for sure. Probably it was a mingling of emotions. It didn't look like it had before. It wasn't as grand as it was before. Fifty years had been lost out of their lives and out of their worship. And yet at the same time, there's joy because they've been restored. There is hope for the future. This is a present moment in which their expectations cannot be met, and yet there is a powerful mingling of emotions. Many shouted for joy so that the people, this is verse 13, could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. They're so loud. For the people shouted so loudly that the sound was heard far away. They're so loud that no one can clearly distinguish who is weeping and who is joyfully shouting. What a mix of emotions. I thought today it might be helpful for us to take a walk through the alphabet and name some emotions, different uh, words that point at a specific feeling, an acute feeling in life, something very sharp and distinct that we might feel from time to time. Maybe some of the people who were weeping felt words like these, annoyed, burdened, cheated, despair, empty, frustrated, hurt, indifferent, left out, melancholy, nervous, overwhelmed, panicked, quarrelsome, restless, sad, tentative, uneasy, vulnerable, worried. Maybe some of the people weeping felt one or more of those negative emotions as they wept. And at the same time, maybe they or those shouting for joy felt some of these. Affection, brilliant, calm, delighted, eager, full, grateful, hopeful, inspired, joyous, keen, loving, proud, relieved, sure, vivacious, and warm. At the same moment, it's possible to feel such a complex mixture of emotions. And we don't know what words those people would have chosen, and we don't know what everyone is feeling this morning in July after 126 days of time apart. But surely it is some kind of a mix of weeping and of joyful shouting. Now, where is God in this? Where is He? What is He doing? What has he planned for a day like today, a reunion like today? 
And what has he been thinking while we've been apart? Where is God in all of this? Surely these Jews were wondering things like that themselves. They, they praise his characteristics, his hesed, his covenant faithfulness. They thank him for his gift that they have been restored to the land, that the temple is being rebuilt. And yet they don't know what tomorrow holds. They don't know how long until the temple is finished. In fact, they probably did not imagine it would take another 20 years to finish the temple, but it did. The prophet Haggai, some 20 years later when the work is nearing completion, will ask this question, who of you saw the house of God in its former glory? And then, in spite of their disappointment that the second temple was smaller and less grand than Solomon's temple, he promises in a prophetic word from God that God is going to make this new temple even more glorious than the old one. And in this place, he will bring peace. That's in Haggai 2, verses 3 through 9. So 20 years later, a full 70 years after the temple is destroyed, when they're able to near, nearly have it completed and then finally finish and rededicate it, Haggai is saying, even though you might be disappointed now, God will do something great here. Where do people come up with the faith about what God is doing and where he is at to say that in the middle of their mixed emotions like this, in the middle of their disappointment, when the songs don't sound the way they used to or have been forgotten and are not sung at all, when the location of their worship has been moved, when the friendships have been lost, these people thinking back on those long dead, 50 years dead now, and, and we thinking about people that we worshiped with in March and didn't know it was our last time to worship together with them. What do we do? Where did people like Haggai and Ezra and their fellows find resources to talk about where God is in all of this? Well, two things. One is they talked about it in poetry, and another is they talked about it in life events, in stories that helped them remember. They dealt with memory and expectation, the past and the future hope, with poetry and with story. Let me give you one example of each. A famous poem in the Hebrew Scriptures is Psalm 139. It talks about God's inescapable presence, that He is everywhere. Let me read a few verses. It's famous, it's well-known, probably well-known to you. Psalm 139. O Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge, it's too wonderful for me. It's so high I cannot attain it. This poetry by the psalmist describes God as knowing what's coming to us before it arrives. He's in our past. He knows our future. And, it, and then he says, you hem me in behind and before, so you're in my future also. God is, God is present. Think about what this psalm is saying poetically. God is present right now in our last worship service in March. The one that we had 
in this worship center before we left. God is there now. He's in the past. And God is in the future. He is in the worship services that we will have next week and a month from now and 126 days from now and 126 years from now or as long as the earth endures, God is in all of these places, somehow timeless, above, transcendent, different than us in every way. He is before and behind, completely hemming us in. Now, if you're running from God, that can sound frightening, but if you're asking where is God at in the madness, it can be quite comforting to remember. He knows. He's already there before me. And as I've said before, this means he knows your worst day and your best day. He knows the worst thing that you will ever do, and he loves you. And he calls you to be his child, son or daughter, even though before you and behind you, he knows everything about you. This means that for us in our worship today, despite whatever feelings we may have, God is well aware of our disappointment and our joy at being back together and, and at how things look. He is not surprised. This is the way the Jews work it out in their poetry, but they also work it out in story in memory. One of my favorite ways that the Jews talk about this presence of God at all times, in all places, before and behind, is the story of Jacob's dream at Bethel. Now Bethel means the house of God, but this place where Jacob dreams is just a random spot on the map. Did you ever spin the globe when you were a kid and stick your finger to it. Maybe, maybe some of you have never even had a globe in your home now that we have uh, Google Maps. You don't really, I guess, need these as much. But when I was a kid, we had globes. And we would look at them and imagine the world and spin it and imagine going to far off places in Africa or in Antarctica or in uh, the far east somewhere mysterious places where maybe magic still lived and there was adventure for sure. And we would spin the globe and we would stop it with our eyes closed with our finger and say, that's where I'll travel. And then we would look and we would find out I pointed it somewhere like Oklahoma. <laughs> and we would say, I want another spin and we'd spin it again. This is essentially what happens to Jacob. He's just traveling and it's some random backcountry spot. He's in the panhandle, right? He's in the middle of nowhere. He has a dream one night. He takes a rock, he makes it his pillow. It's not a comfortable situation, but I guess it was a necessary situation. His expectations are not being met. He's fleeing from home. He's cheated his brother out of the blessing and the birthright. His mom has come up with a scheme to try to save his life from his murderous brother. He's off to find a wife in a far land from relatives that he's never met. And he's in some backcountry place in the middle of nowhere, and he pulls this rock up and he sleeps on it. And he has a dream that there was a ladder from heaven to earth with angels descending and ascending from God to earth. And he wakes up and with his eyes opened, recognizing that God is everywhere, saturating his creation, present in moments of elation and in moments of disappointment, Jacob says, Surely the Lord is in this place 
and I did not know it. It's one of my favorite lines in Scripture. Surely the Lord was in this place, and I was unaware of it. Jacob says, He is here. Where has He been? He's been here in the panhandle, in the backcountry, in the middle of nowhere, just waiting to encounter me. He is everywhere, behind and before. Jacob goes on to say this, this place, remember he's just on some random spot on the map, this is none other than the house of God. Now those words, Bethel, house of God, are the same words that Ezra and Haggai use when they describe the rebuilding of the temple. The people praise and they give thanks because the house of God is being rebuilt. The place where they have known worship and community and camaraderie and fellowship, where their joys have been shared and their sorrows have been hugged out and wept over together in community. The house of God, Jacob says, it turns out the house of God is anywhere. And everywhere would we open our eyes. Jacob takes the stone that he had put under his head. This was a random rock in the middle of nowhere the day before. He sets it up as a pillar. He pours oil over it, and he calls the place the house of God. And this becomes a memento to him, a token, a reminder that God is everywhere, but I am unaware that God is always present, but I often lose track of Him because I'm so (laughs) taken up with the memory of how things were and the expectations and hopes of how they might be that I get lost in my past and my future and I miss this present moment where a rock is a temple, where worshiping in the parking lot is the greatest cathedral that God could have at this moment. That worshiping on my couch, if that's where you're at this morning, is God's great cathedral, the cathedral of the human heart, of the faithfulness of God, of love between God, the Creator, and His creation, of His faithfulness that never ends, behind and before, He's always available and always present. This is what Paul writes about in the book of Romans when he needs to secure the hope of these Christians. There's some suffering, there's some uncertainty, and Paul writes to them about the future hope that is secure because of God's faithfulness in spite of how the present feels. Recently, my infant son has been trying to say his first words, and I have been faithfully reading to him the book, great piece of literature, written by Jimmy Fallon, you know, the talk show host, called Dada. And then it promises your child's first word will be dada. I have read him this book almost every night of his life. It's very sophisticated literature. It starts off with a picture of a cow, and the father cow says, dada. You know, that's my name, dada. Baby cow says, you get the, every farm animal, the daddy duck says dada, the baby duck, quack, dada, (laughs) meow, dada, woof, woof, dada. Oink, oink, all the way through the book, it's the same story. Well, this is what's going on in my home. I keep trying to teach my son to call me Dada. And instead, he says, Ma, 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 Ma. And he says, Ba, 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 Ba. He thinks I'm a sheep. He thinks I'm a girl. 
And now I've realized he's starting to associate this sound, ah, ba 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 ba, with me. So Jenna is ma ma ma, but I am ba ba ba. Well, this isn't living up to my expectations. But to my joy, I realized that it's not that my son doesn't know who I am, it's that my son speaks Aramaic and is calling me Abba, just like Jesus would have done to his father. See, that's a little twist us daddies make whenever we're disappointed that they say mama first. Abba, ba, ba, ba. Abba, ba, ba, ba. He looks at me and says, Abba is what I choose to hear because I want that hope that he knows who I am. This is what Paul says to the Romans in Romans 8. You did not receive a spirit of slavery that, that falls back into fear. This is what can happen when our expectations are destroyed, whenever we're feeling one of these complicated blends of emotions. When we come home to a temple that's not like what it used to be, we come home to a worship service, and our people aren't all there. Our songs aren't all the same. Everything is different. He says, you were not given a spirit of slavery to fear, but you've received a spirit of adoption. And you cry out, Abba, Father, Abba, Baba, Abba, Father, I don't even know how to address you, but I trust you. We look at the Father who's present behind and before, and we say, my life doesn't look like it did 126 days ago, but you are present behind and before. I had my eyes closed. This rock that I saw as a, as a stumbling block in my way, fleeing from home, I stubbed my toe on my pillow and it hurt. This rock is a cathedral, a pillar of the house of God. This is what his transforming presence does for Paul, for Jacob, for the psalmist, for Ezra, for Haggai, for you, for me. Here he is, the God for whom every bit of creation is a church sanctuary waiting to be discovered. Every moment of the day and every watch of the night is a liturgy waiting to be exposed. This is the God that we worship. And so Paul says in verse 18 of Romans 8, I consider that the sufferings of the present are not worth comparing to the glory about to be revealed in us. Haggai could not have said it better when he said the former temple, you remember it? The later one will be even more glorious. In that place, I'll bring peace. This temple of you and of me united as living stones with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone cannot be torn down, cannot be ruined, cannot be separated by disease or pandemic, by letdown or disappointment, by parking lot worship or couch worship or any other place that we need to be to worship. There is nothing that can get between us and the love of God that he has for us. That's why this chapter ends with Paul saying, not death, not life, not angels, not rulers, not things that are present or things uh, that are far, not powers, height, depth, or anything in all creation can separate us from the love, this, this constant commitment of God that is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen, church? Amen. Today is not going to be what any of us expect. Maybe not what we hope for. 
maybe not what we want to imagine it always looking like. We're going to have to be flexible together. But today, with God's presence as the cathedral, today, when our eyes are opened to Him being near, it is a temple. It is a synagogue. It is a liturgy waiting to be enacted and sung. And together with the Spirit of God, we say, Abba, Father. And we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And we praise Him and we give thanks. Let's do that right now. Father in heaven, we thank you for showing mercy on us and on your world. And we pray that you would act to shorten the duration and intensity of this pandemic even more so that soon things can become to look like whatever it is you have for our future. God, would you sift us and in the screen of your sifting, pull out anything from our, our past expectations that you have decided to remove from our future and let uh, come into our vision and our experience those perfect plans that you have laid for the future of the Bentonville Church of Christ and, and of all of your churches. We pray this and we trust you and your never-ending faithfulness to us in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.